This presentation is from Design Research 2021, Day 2. Our next speaker is uh, Brooke, who will be joining us in just a moment. Brooke's going to be talking to us about persuasion. Hi, great to see you. Hi, Brooke. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Over to you whenever you're ready, Brooke. Perfect. Um, so hi, everyone. My name is Brooke Jamison. I'm the analytics lead at PlaceOS. And just before I get started, I just want to take some time to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I'm broadcasting from today. So I'm in Brisbane, which is the Yagara and Turrbal people. Um, especially at a research-based conference, I would also say to make sure that not only are you taking the time to reflect the views and experiences of First Nations people in your work, but also take some time to research the communities that have been around for a long time in the area that you might be working from, especially in Australia. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the persuasion equation, which is how to effectively communicate results to people who don't want to listen. And I wish I had a shorter way to write the title, but I think the long part is really important. Um, so for some context, I studied pure mathematics at university. And since then, I've gone to work in marketing and UX, and now I'm analytics lead at a global IoT company. But one thing that's always been quite common is I've never really fit in with the corporate landscape that I was working in. And I haven't ever let that stop me, but it has meant that I've just essentially turned some not so good experiences from early in my career into strategies that now I can share with lots of early career people so that they can make their voice heard within an organization. Um, will this work? Yes. Okay. So this is from Toothpaste for Dinner, which is one of my favorite internet comics. Possibly don't look at this on your work computer, but this creative process diagram absolutely spoke to me. I would just spend a lot of time in the process, not actually doing anything, and then absolutely panicking, stress doing work, and then making it to the deadline. This was very reflective of the first year or two of my career. Um, and then this is really what it looks like for me early on. So just a lot of imposter syndrome and panic at the start, and then lots of problem-solving design and dev actual work is complete and then I would present my work and then I'd be really frustrated at the end because either no one heard me or no one cared what I said and it was just really frustrating to be such a research-based person and then putting a lot of time into getting results that at the end of the day no one really cared about um, and I found this quite disheartening at the start of my career so the whole persuasion equation idea is about how can you make sure people listen to you when you talk because what's the point of getting to a really good result if no one cares when you tell them about it. Um, so when I explain my job now to my parents, uh, my parents live in the country, so I say that I talk to people to find the questions and I talk to data to find the answers. And anyone working in UX research will know that these two parts are both really equally important, but they really need to be happening in tandem. So talking to people not only in terms of who you're researching with, so any participants in your studies or user groups and things like that, but also the stakeholders within your organization or the stakeholders of the organization you're consulting to. There's a lot of different things that you can do ahead of time to really set yourself up for success along that creative process diagram to minimize the time you spend panicking and really maximize the benefits you can get from your work. Um, and this slide actually, so I present this uh, keynote a lot at software development conferences or things like AI and data conferences. And I left this slide in because it's a really good viewpoint to show the benefit that most participants today would have coming from a user experience background. So when I explain this to software developers, I always say to pretend the stakeholders are like Pokemon. 
Um, and this is because you need to understand what their motivation is for being in the room, but also what they want to hear from you. And as user experience professionals, you already do this because this is building a persona and you already understand this aspect of it. And it sort of ends up being like the plumber with the leaky tap at home, uh, just because you already have this skill and you're a leader in your field in this. But it's just about taking this external feature that you would normally have. So you would normally doing persona profiling on your participants, but instead bringing that external process internal and thinking about who am I going to present my results to? So if the CFO is in the meeting, for example, make sure you relate your results to money. Or if you're there's someone from people and culture there, so you need to show how it impacts HR and things like that. This idea of bringing everything you already know about user research inwards when you're presenting internally will really set yourself up for success. And I think this is something that gets missed by early career people just because they're missing the humility aspect of it. Because at the end of the day, everyone is really busy, especially with so many online meetings, because I feel like people are just putting more and more things back to back to back now that they don't have to physically move between the places. But that means that you have to make time for them to be there because otherwise they just won't see anything and they won't be listening to what you're saying because they're just thinking about everything else that's happening in the day. So if they've invited you to come and speak, think about why they invited you in the first place because there's probably a very good reason. And usually it's because they want to make a data-driven decision. And this can mean a lot to a lot of different people, but it's a really important context to understand specifically what that means for each person in the meeting and then what they're trying to get out of this. Because anyone would know from user research, there's so many data points that you can collect based on attitudes and behaviors and different types of users. But it's really a data-driven decision does imply that a, de that a decision will be made. And that's really important to keep in mind when you're formulating your results and then also presenting them. Because what are you really aiming for? Um, and the other side of this is to be data-driven and not data-derailed. Um, I have a whole article about this on my LinkedIn if you would like to read more in depth about it. But this is really the idea of making sure you're making a decision when it comes to making data-driven decisions and not just finding new things to research. Um, this is one of the things that if you have limited budget, it's really important to focus your attention on what's important because obviously you could research everything forever, but that's not always sustainable in every team and every business. And this is really that in action. So this is not actual data. This is just my experience, but it really seems like the 80-20 rule in that 20% of the data that you're working with will provide 80% of the valuable insights. So working on streamlining this really does come down to understanding who you're presenting to and what they care about and the types of decisions that they're making. And this will help make sure you're not wasting time working out things that you don't necessarily care about and will just keep you on a path that is more iterative over time, especially if you're working with limited resources. And the whole concept of this is when someone does invite you to either undertake research for them or then present the results from that, you need to understand where are they now and where do they need to be. And that big arrow in the middle is you because that's how you can work out how you can use data to get to that end point. So this could mean many different things. I've worked across a lot of industries and there's always the applications of it change, but the fundamental workflow does not. So if you can really get a good grasp of what someone is experiencing now, which bringing in all of your user experience and user research background will really help with this, especially if you've also done some marketing, 
and then work out specifically where they need to be. So that could also be around when you're trying to work out how to use data to get them there. Good questions to ask are things like what data points would change that would impact a different decision from you? Or how much of the data on the table could we remove before you wouldn't feel comfortable making a decision? Because it's not just about the decision they're trying to make, but you really need to get to the bottom of what they prioritize and how they prioritize concepts. And so when you're presenting data, it's really easy to just gloss over and show who, what, where, and when. This is really basic in any sort of data visualization. This is a really easy place to start, but you need to build on that with context. And that's really where the why and the how come in. So the previous speaker, when she was talking about the abstract, the first opening part of the abstract was starting with why, and then the other parts, how, were how the research was undertaken and things like that. Because the best thing that will happen is an executive or someone from management will see the who, what, where, and when, and then you'll show them an insight. So maybe time to use the product decreased by 20% or something, or it was this much faster, or there were this many less clicks to goal. And the first question they'll ask is either why did that happen or how did you do that? So if you're not prepared to answer those two questions, you're going to get into the meeting and not be able to engage with people on what they really want to know about. Because the why and the how are really important to the decision-making side of the process, but they really lean on the who, what, where, and when being quite robust. So it's about balancing these two, but making sure you're really prepared with any why and how questions that can come up in a statistically significant way, working with correlation and causation and making sure you're not getting stuck or giving inefficient advice. And this is from Marco Tuna. So Tom Fishburne runs this comic. If you've ever worked across any sort of digital transformation or tech marketing UX front, you will love this blog. But this, I always come back to as a comic. So anytime data is presented, this is exactly what happens because it's sort of like people just want to hoard data in their garage and they want to just have the data and they make charts because it's exciting to make a different chart. Like the first time someone realized they can make a Sankey chart with different things, they just want it to look at, but they really don't understand what's going on. So really, this is a really good visualization of making sure you understand not only the people you're working with to show the data, but what they specifically care about, because it's so important to make sure that you're giving them everything they need to make that decision, but you're not giving them too much to the point that they'll get bamboozled. And this is because you really need to begin with the end in mind. So the best thing that can happen after you have a presentation or something like that is the person in the audience will bump into someone in the hallway if they're back in a physical workplace and it will say, oh, Brooke did a great talk on XYZ and she was really talking about these things. So you need to set each audience member up with a way that they can present the results that you presented to them back to someone else. Uh, because that will make, if it's a leader who was in the audience, it will make them feel like a better leader to be able to present your points. But it will also mean that you're making sure that they understand you and it will make sure that you've really spoken to them. Like back to the Pokemon card persona point of view, you need to make sure that you've given each separate person with different wants and needs and different things that they're trying to get out of the presentation, starting with the way that you want them to be able to tell someone else about it is so important. And this is, if you take nothing else from today, just think of this. So just think of how will they tell someone in the hallway about what you've spoken about. And this works with user research presentation of results, but anytime you're presenting in a workplace, because it's really daunting to go into any sort of speaking engagement and think that 
your job there is to be the world's best speaker because number one, that's really hard and you will set yourself up to fail. And number two, it's not actually that important. The important part of you presenting to someone is that they understand you and they can say it in their own words because that will cement their learning, but it will also make you more valuable to the organization. So thinking about instead of bringing it back, so instead of thinking about everything that you need to tell them and every single data point and every tiny little piece, instead bring it back and think about what are the few things that you actually want them to be able to pass on to someone else and what will they be? And this really will help you to get on a path that's really constructive and will move forward in a way that sets your career up for leadership as well. Because if you're really getting to the bottom of understanding what leaders want and how leaders make decisions, just being around that sort of thought pattern will help set you up for that as well. So aside from the actual presentation of results, it will really be a positive influence in your life and career more generally. And these take-home points that uh, people will say when they tell someone about it, there are three things that I try to keep in mind. They need to be notable, relatable, and retainable. So notable is if something is really high or low year on year. So what can you compare it to historically that it stands out? So anything that stands out a lot, or maybe you've done user testing across devices and one of the devices performed really poorly compared to the others. That aspect is really important over time because then you can see how everything's going. And you can then, when you have outliers in data, either high or low, they often give you a really good layer of context that comes back to the why and the how part. But it often gives you a really good starting point for researching into the contextual elements of the data that are influencing the system as a whole. So the notable part is really important both for people remembering the point, but also you making further research decisions and the way you present your decisions. And relatable can mean relating to someone's role. So like I said earlier, if you have the CFO, the chief financial officer in the room, showing how much either money is saved or return on investment or a cost saving, or maybe people are, if it's an internal product for internal use, if you've saved time. So say you're making an enterprise product and you've saved each user 10 minutes of time per day. Add that up over a year with an average salary for the company and you'll be able to put a monetary figure on how much money you've saved them. Thinking like that will really help not only you to be a better presenter, but it will make sure that they remember what you present. Um, and this is really important in any sort of emerging field when maybe someone's a very traditional business person and they just don't understand the value behind user experience. So, so much of this when you work in a new and emerging field is just about educating the different stakeholders in the meeting and making sure that they understand not only what you're presenting, but why it's valuable. And it's really, obviously, it would be great if everyone just understood the value of user experience and user researching over time, but that's really hard to do. Um, and the third part is retainable. So anything that will help people remember. So how can you tell them with a story that they'll remember? Or how can you tell them in a way that they'll be able to tell someone in the hallway? Things like that. And so these are my key points that I would like you to remember. So the first one is the key is humility. So understand that your presentation is probably not the most important thing in that person's day, but that doesn't matter. And that doesn't mean you can't find a way to make it really impactful. And that comes back to the second point, which is why did the audience show up? So what is each person in that presentation or reading their report? Why are they reading it? What are they trying to get out of it? And then how can you tell the story with context that applies to each of the audience members? Really important, especially easy when there's 
user research is really great for this because there's always people involved, with makes, which makes it a lot easier to tell stories. And the fourth is begin with the end in mind. So thinking about the way that you want each person to present your points back to someone else in the hallway. That will really guide you to success. And the fifth one is review and improve iteratively. You will not be the best presenter out of the gates. That's fine. No one is. No one is the best when they start. Think about little things that you can change over time. And then research as well. Not research, but reflect on what you did really well and make sure you do that really good thing next time. You could even do it better next time. But work out what feels natural for you and how you can improve iteratively in a way that feels genuine to the type of person you are and the type of work that you're doing. Then my, this is my last slide. So thanks so much, everyone, for coming. Um, I really have whipped through this. So if there's any further information I can provide, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, but it's really important not only for you to think about how you can get this going in terms of your own workplace, but be a better audience member when you're going to watch people speak and be a better colleague. So is there anyone really early career at your company that just gets absolutely steamrolled in meetings or doesn't get asked good questions or is too nervous to present at all? This is a really good opportunity. If you step up and mentor them in this process, you will become a better speaker too and you'll help them change realistically the trajectory of their career. So it's a really good way for you to also benefit while helping someone else. So I really would like to leave you with that concept, just thinking about how you can not only improve yourself, but work on ways to improve the lives of your colleagues too. So thanks so much for having me. If we have any questions in chat, I will answer them. Oh. Thank you, Brooke. Thanks. That was awesome. Oh, thanks so much. I'm, I'm uh, sort of stuck on uh, two points that were in there. Um, it, that very last one around helping others, um, and that's often a really good way to help ourselves. I mean, teaching other people and mentoring and coaching other people is a really good way to crystallise our own thinking um, anyway. But the, the other one is just, and I, I wish this was an advice that more people got more early or much earlier in their careers, which is that you're never going to nail something the first time you do it. Um, you're only ever going to get better over time. Um, and looking for ways to actually get good feedback um, is a critical part in that as well. So you can you can work at getting better at what you're doing, but that feedback component and how we we actually use it to improve is you know sort of critical critical life skill. Absolutely, I didn't put the slides in this, but when I present to um, lots of software developers as well, like I hated the sound of my own voice. I mean, I still sort of do, but the way to present when you really can't stand your own voice and you're too nervous to even go in front of other people is number one, just record yourself. But number two, transcribe it. Um, there's so many tools you can use with like GCP or AWS or other features and look instead at the actual words you're saying. And then you don't even have to listen to yourself and it's fine, but you'll notice different patterns in maybe you always enter sent and sentences the same way, or maybe you say the same words over and over again. Or maybe you said something that was really clear and you want to be able to write down how you said it so you know how to do it next time. There's so many ways now to iteratively improve from the comfort of your own home without having to socialise. So there are lots of options yeah, yeah, um, yeah. if you are dedicated to it. One of the, uh, just one other uh, short bit of advice that we, we often use when we're giving presentations is to record them. Um, and and for our own benefit, but not so much to record what we said 
in the presentation itself, but what questions came up in response to the presentation and how we answered them. And, and that can then be used to iterate the presentation next time to close an obvious gap in the communication. So if that question keeps coming up, you can iterate the presentation to address it preemptively rather than leaving the presentation and having that question come up and having to answer it. So. Yeah, it's all really good information you can have over time. It's just one of those things, if you're not looking for any of this information, you'll think that there's nothing coming in. But even yes. something that's like when you get a new employee, uh, do they always ask the same questions? That probably means you're missing something from onboarding. So there's all sorts of feedback data that does exist that just isn't being captured over time. So hopefully our data-driven audience will understand that. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Brooke. Thanks so much for having me. Our pleasure.